Welcome to the Milling Yalunwa podcast. This is the second episode and I'm so excited to be here because this is being recorded and will be published on NADOC week 2023. The theme this year is for our elders. And if you're already making your way to the podcast, then you already know who I am. So I'm not going to introduce myself. I'm going to acknowledge my elders first before you learn anything about me. I want to first acknowledge William Barrick, who was born Berrick, who was an activist and civil rights leader for the Wurundjeri people. And I want to acknowledge all of the ancestors uh, of the Wurundjeri people. I want to acknowledge his sister, Annie Borat, and I want to acknowledge my third great-grandmother, Jemima Burns Wanden Dunnelly. I want to acknowledge Robert Wanden, my third great-grandfather. I want to acknowledge Martha Nevin, my second great-grandmother. I want to acknowledge Jessie Hunter, my great-grandmother, and I want to acknowledge Norm Hunter, my, gr my grandfather. Today's episode of Minning Yalawa is being recorded in ACME. And I'm really thankful for this opportunity because it shows that ACME not only cares about the traditional owners of the land, but also cares about uplifting and supporting the voices of elders. Today, I want to discuss the works of Essie Coffey, the Bush Queen of Bree Warina. And I also want to discuss the works of my grandfather, Uncle Norm Hunter. And I want to discuss this in depth because Last night, I sat down and watched the two documentaries filmed by Essie Coffey, and that is My Survival as an Aboriginal, released in 1979, as well as My Life as I Live It, 1993. And both of these documentaries are free to stream on SBS On Demand. Now, unfortunately, they're actually only there for another month. So if SBS On Demand could go and extend that, that would be brilliant. Um, but at the moment, because with the podcast, I'm trying to extend um, free-to-air services for people to watch um, these two documentaries, uh, the perfect examples that I'm going to discuss today. After that, I'm going to discuss the works of my grandfather, Uncle Norm Hunter, who created documentaries on VHS tapes uh, depicting life uh, and the stories of Corrindirk Aboriginal Mission as well as interviewing how life was growing up on the mission um, with my great-grandmother, Auntie Jessie Hunter. Aboriginal culture, it should be taught in all schools to Aboriginal kids. They're completely forgetting about their own tribe, their culture and their tradition. And that is most important, that you kids just remember what you are, that you stand tall and you stand proud on your own land, what you're standing now. And that's black land, Aboriginal land. Today I want to discuss the landmark documentary film My Survival as an Aboriginal, released in 1979 by Marawari activist Essie Coffey, the Bush Queen of Bree Warina. Set in Bree Warina, in the reserve nicknamed Dodge City, the film is a slice of life into poverty and social issues faced by the Aboriginal people living in Dodge City and the greater town of Bree Warina. 
This film is followed by a sequel 15 years later called My Life As I Live It, which uses archival footage from the original film while also uh, following up on the young people featured in the documentary where they are today and the progress uh, that the Marawari people have made in the town. This film is the first documentary to be directed by an Indigenous woman, and that's an important landmark in itself. But the history of the film and its international acclaim, while receiving some censoring uh, on the national uh, film stage, shows a testament to the lack of admission for film audiences and the larger nation of the time. This film received international acclaim across the world and it showed the desperate situation for Aboriginal peoples of the time while also exposing a light onto the Australian federal government and the New South Wales government. One notable history with this film is that S.U. Coffey gave a copy of this film to Queen Elizabeth II at the opening of the new Parliament House in 1988. That brings shivers down to my spine and I'm sure that if we were able to recollect the moments of this encounter and this exchange, that we can see what Essie was doing here. She was a leader for her people and she was a co-founder of the Western Aboriginal Legal Service, as well as sitting on the boards of the New South Wales Lands Trust and the New South Wales Advisory Council. She held a lot of positions. In the 1990s, she was a co-founder of the Aboriginal Heritage and Culture Museum of Bree Rowena, co-founder of the Maganya Aboriginal Women's Issue Organisation, as well as sitting on a range of other boards. The life work of Essie Coffey was phenomenal, but the directorial debut that she created in Dodge City is a marvel in its own. If suddenly a documentary was to come out in two and three years depicting the life of Essie Coffey, it probably wouldn't even be able to tell the entire scope of her life work. Seen in the documentary, which I remember the first time I watched it, she raised eight children and 10 stepchildren. There's this comedy black humor moment in the documentary where Essie's introducing her family and they all come stepping out from the door. And there's so much big auntie energy because she keeps bringing people out again and again, introducing their hobbies, where they come from and what they enjoy doing. It's like, a magician pulling out tied handkerchiefs from their sleeve. She keeps pulling out all these children that she's helped raise. And she was such a community leader that you see it in the faces of the children. When I first saw this documentary, I watched it with the First Nations Film Club. And this was the inaugural uh, event for the First Nations Film Club with ACME. And they screened a range of films, but they showed my survival as an Aboriginal and it was so enlightening for me to watch that, not just in the first meeting, but also in NADOC week 2021, because I'd never seen such a beautiful depiction and documentary on the screen. And Essie Coffey being the first Indigenous woman to produce a documentary, 
is phenomenal in itself because she paved the way but created work that is so perfect to this day. When you watch it on SBS On Demand, you're going to see very high-definition footage because it was uh, digitised by the National Film and Sound Archive and and that label's at the start of the um, documentary. And everything there is so crisp. She had this beautiful vision um, with Martha and Sarah to create a documentary that was not only truth-telling but was also uh, striking in its audio and striking in its visuals as well. I was speaking to my girlfriend because she had just watched it yesterday and she says to me that she felt her soul shaking from the country music that was being played uh, in between certain moments of the film. And it's also notable that Essie Coffey was a country singer and a guitarist as well, but you can hear her voice and you can hear the guitar playing in between these small cuts and it really provides that slice of life that feels authentic with that beautiful sound of the guitar. They say in a crime of drinking beer and wine He's gonna lead a good man astray When it comes to grog, I'm a fair drinker mom I guess I was born that way I'm gonna drink it and roam until the cows come home If it give my poor eyes There are some really authentic moments in this film that I feel that one could possibly see when just walking down the street. Documentaries can often fall into a trap of reenaction or a failure to depict the real world when somebody knows there's a camera in their face. But there's these beautiful interactions down at the local pub, at the legal service that are so authentic that you feel like you're in the room with everyone. And, and it, of course, I have to give grace to the HD digitization for us to feel so there. The filming of Rerarena can only stick to me like the work of Frederick Wiseman. And Frederick Wiseman was a master of documentary filmmaking with authentic and realistic depictions of life from across the globe. It's not just the people and the characters within the town as well. It's also the depiction of the natural land uh, and the buildings and the streets of the town that show the environment itself of Dodge City doesn't change at all. And and that's such a disappointing thing to see from a a social perspective as as a viewer. And I watched them back to back um, on the first day of NADOC week because I wanted to listen to the voice of Essie Coffee. And watching those films back to back is so shocking. And and they f- they sit in different formats because one the the first film you're right there. You're right there while it's filming at the time in the 1970s. But the second one is introspective and reflective because the archival footage that they use is all black and white you're seeing this juxtaposition between 15 years ago and and now and 
they recorded on different formats as well. Now I can't particularly remember the camera that they used, but it is a sort of digital camera, perhaps a VHS recorder in the 1990s. And it's not just a stark difference in the young men growing up and the stories of what has occurred in the past 15 years. It's also a format change that I think is so striking because you're able to see very clearly that time has changed through the cinema lens. In closing, my final thoughts about Essie Coffey's work is that as a filmmaker or in general as an Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander person, get out there and document the culture, language and law of your community. This is what Essie did and live like Essie. It doesn't mean that you need to have these fancy camera equipments and setups. It means getting out and witnessing and capturing culture while it's here so that future generations can see what life was like. They took the people and they dumped them in. Um, Westby Warner, better now now as Dodge City. They took the people against their will. They didn't want to go. The people didn't want to go. They was made to go. They're not happy people. They're sad people. They're very depressed. They're frustrated. The white man forced them to live in a white man world. They want to live like they all live, and they can't. For the second half of the podcast, I want to discuss the works created by my grandpa, Uncle Norm Hunter. Norm Hunter's traditional name was Wonga, which is the bronze pigeon. Uncle Norm Hunter was an advocate for education and his work was instrumental in creating the Indigenous Learning Centre with the Kangan Institute, the Gunung Willembalik Centre which still sits there today in Broadmeadows. I feel as his grandson that in everything I need to do, I need to uplift and share the works that he created and the work that he started. It must have been a few years ago now, but I had the opportunity to watch some VHS tapes that he had created with my nan and my pop. And they went out to Corrindurk Aboriginal Mission and he interviewed them in front of the Corrindurk Cemetery of how life was like for my nan growing up on the mission. And my nan, Auntie Jessie Hunter, also known as Tiny, and her traditional name was Gumbri. She was the last girl born on the Corrindurk Aboriginal Mission and she was born in 1921. He filmed these meticulous VHS tapes, which were done with no editing software, no editing capabilities, simply pressing start and finishing to create these polished works, which documented what life was like growing up on the mission. There were stories from my nan that were documented by grandpa of her telling stories about my third great grandmother, Jemima Wanden. And through watching this, 
I was able to see a passing down of culture that even though he wasn't able to hear, able to tell the story himself to me, or my nan wasn't able to tell the story to me herself, I was able to hear the stories of how they lived and where they came from through the camera lens. And watching it on the television was so surreal because when I decided to come up with the pairing of the works today, I felt that I saw similarities with what Essie Coffey was trying to depict in Rerarina and what my grandpa was trying to show on Corrindirk Aboriginal Mission. They were trying to share culture and share law and share language and how life was through a medium which hadn't really been touched yet. They were trying to show how life was so that one day someone could pick it up and watch it and know how they lived and knew the story of the Marawari and the story of the Wurundjeri people. There are some funny tapes that my grandpa put together and they feature my mum when she was young. They feature some aunties and the way that I see it is that anyone who puts a sequence of shots together in order to educate or tell a story is a filmmaker in my books. And while he never got a festival release or his films were never seen by a wide audience or anything like that, I felt touched by it. And so to me, my grandfather is a filmmaker. Lastly, before wrapping up the podcast, I want to thank Acme for letting me in today during NADOC week. It's often a very, very busy time, um, but to be able to have this opportunity uh, to talk about the work of my grandfather and the work of Essie Coffey is phenomenal. So I want to thank Acme, but I also want to talk about the First Nations Film Club. So I joined uh, the first event of the First Nations Film Club, uh, which was possibly one or two years ago now uh, during NADOC week where we first saw my survival as an Aboriginal. And those events run bi-monthly and you can also tune in on Zoom so you can watch them uh, if you can't make it. The opportunities uh, from having a black membership or coming through with the First Nations Film Club are phenomenal. Um, so take a look on the ACME website, uh, especially by searching up NADOC Week ACME on Google to see the link directly there to see what opportunities you can get if you are a young First Nations person and you're interested in connecting with ACME and the opportunities, then it's amazing. And you'll be able to find some beautiful works to watch on their bi-monthly events and also have access to exhibitions and their newsletter and screenings, which is amazing. I'm yet to go to a screening myself, but I get emails all the time where I can even bring a friend along. Isn't that amazing? So I just want to shout out to that and that ACME facilitates that space for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. That is amazing. Anyways, everyone, Nungodjin, thank you. Hope you're all having a fantastic NADOC week. And if you were listening to this after NADOC week, I hope it was swell for you and you went to lots of events. And if you're listening to this during NADOC week, 
then please have the best time possible and respect your elders. See you later, everyone.